Have you ever wondered which lab tests you should actually be asking for? Have you ever wondered what's up with cravings and what can I do about them? And maybe you're also wondering why the heck do I flip out so easily during luteal? Well, these are all questions that I'm gonna ask Mandy Rother and she's gonna have all the answers and we're gonna nerd out right now for you, for your PMDD relief. Here we go, Mandy Rother right now in the interview. Welcome to the PMDD Healing Summit, where the world's top experts share hope, guidance, and next steps for your PMDD healing journey. And today I am super happy to be able to welcome Mandy Rother because Mandy was here last year and she gave a workshop, but today we're going to go way deeper than just talking about cravings, although we probably will talk a little bit about cravings. But anyway, let me tell you a little bit about Mandy. Mandy is an integrative and functional registered dietitian who helps clients achieve peaceful periods and balance mood so that they can reclaim their resilience and live out their purpose all month long. Mandy's passion is fueled by navigating her own PMDD diagnosis over 15 years ago. And on top of that, IBS, PCOS, and depression were worsening her cyclical symptoms. Fed up with treatments that made her feel even worse, I know we can all relate to that, she decided to forge her own path through functional medicine and nutrition approach, she went from rock bottom to welcoming her monthly cycle with open arms. Now she works virtually with clients and groups to help them with her comprehensive root cause approach. With 13 years of experience, five years of education to become a dietitian, plus five years of intensive study and mentorship in functional medicine, nutrition therapy, she combines a data-driven and trauma-informed approach with compassionate coaching. Mandy, welcome, welcome. I'm so happy to have you here. Glad to be here again. Ah, my goodness. Yes, it's like a reunion. We're going to keep doing this every year. So let's dive right into your journey. Tell us a little bit about that journey that you had with your own um, PMDD symptoms and why you're so passionate about the work that you do. Yeah. So as you shared about 15 years ago, back in college, I think was when the diagnosis actually happened, but I've started to question recently after uncovering some childhood journals, as I've read through, I'm like, I wonder if it started a lot earlier than that. Um, just, I, I, as I was reading that old journal, I was like, wow, I really had this like dark questioning side, questioning all the ways of the world. And then this, you know, happy, social, goofy side and um, writing about being really confused about that as I started menstruating and, you know, who am I, who is this person? But um, things really, I think, you know, heightened, you know, as far as severity in college with increased stress and pressure. Um, I'm a classic perfectionist type A. I was doing all the things. <laughs> I know you, we and I have talked a lot about the perfectionism piece. Um, but it was really my mom that pointed out the cyclical symptoms. She would know when I was going to call her. Yep. Okay. This is Mandy today. This is what's happening. Um, and so while I'm thankful that I had that diagnosis, you know, that early on in my life, I know there's so many people out there struggling to even um, be validated with that diagnosis. And, you know, from, you know, their support people and their healthcare teams, I know just even that can be a hurdle. Yeah. Um, 
But my story is kind of like a lot of others where I tried a lot of the traditional first and second line treatments, SSRIs and birth control, um, adverse reactions to some of them, some of them made symptoms worse. Um, and, you know, even, you know, birth control, I think something helped initially and then things got worse. It was like always this moving target of not knowing what would work, not knowing why. And it's, I don't know, for me, um, started to impact my identity. Like, is this my fault? Should I just be more um, optimistic, more resilient? Um, am I doing this? And so um, part of why I've become so passionate about this is, you know what it feels like to kind of put that mask on and feel like you have to keep pushing through and operating your life to um, keep up with the demands of, of home, of work, et cetera. And, you know, what I've found is the harder I would, I or the, blah, 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 the better I got at that, you know, kind of pushing through and, and pushing those symptoms away, um, the harder I'd crash, right? Mm. And then, you know, reach kind of that crisis moment. Um, and that's debilitating in every area of life. Um, and so, you know, for me, I, um, you know, decided I worked at other dietitian jobs. And then with my own experience, my own journey with having all the conventional treatments not kind of do me justice, right? They weren't enough relief, started studying functional medicine and functional nutrition therapy and pieced together this puzzle and really you know, got to a place of pretty comprehensive and even complete relief at times just with many, many symptom-free months. So yeah. now I work with others to really, you know, play detective and help them piece that together too. Ah, thank you so much. And I love how you said that piecing together the puzzle, right? And that's why I'm so glad that you're here. And that's why I love, you know, the experts that are here who also have suffered from PMDD. People have pieced together a puzzle and people can kind of guide you and help you. And maybe, you know, you can follow that yellow brick road. So as a functional nutritionist, how would you approach someone, you know, to find relief from their PMDD symptoms? Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times people seek out a dietitian, like, thinking about nutrition, like what am I eating? What's on my plate? How is it balanced? But it goes so much more beyond that. Um, we need to look at the whole person, how all of these factors connect um, and their unique set of root causes. So what are all the factors that are contributing? And also this cross-section between the physiological, the biology side of it and the psychological. Um, and, and so we have to essentially get beyond the disease, get beyond the you know, disorder or diagnosis yeah. and the symptoms are more surface level and look underneath. And so that's really the heart of, of a root cause approach is it focuses on the whole person. Yeah. Um, and the fact that everyone is unique, they're gonna have unique influences that are impacting how they're experiencing PMDD. And sometimes there can be a genetic influence or tendency and other things that layer into that that we really have to uncover yeah. And then we can address and be more specific with what nutrition strategies will help you, what supplement strategies will help you, lifestyle, meditation, yoga, all these things. Yeah. Because um, it's hard to do all the things when you're in the thick of it and you're suffering. Yeah. That's just, it feels like an insurmountable thing to put on your to-do list, right? So we want to be more targeted when we can. That makes total sense. Yeah, it feels sometimes so overwhelming, right? Like, oh, all these things that I have to do. So could you elaborate a little bit because you were just saying something about this root cause approach. Could you just speak a little bit more on that? Yeah, so like I said, you know, if we're thinking about symptoms, um, looking underneath and questioning, okay, what are those symptoms tell me about my physiology? What clues do they give? 
And then how do we address that um, in a more comprehensive way with nutrition, lifestyle, et cetera. And so there can be things like um, challenges with digestive health, nutrient insufficiencies. There can be kind of genomic influences. Sometimes there's big trauma um, or other triggers, major hormonal shifts, um, pregnancy, menopause and such. Um, And and sometimes even, you know, other coexisting conditions can play a role and exacerbate PMDD um, or PME, depending on what someone's experiencing, you know, mm-hmm. thyroid concerns, different hormonal imbalances. So it really, really depends on the person as far as like, what are the most important pieces of, of their puzzle? Yes. Oh, I love that. That's, you know, depends on the person. And that's why, yeah, it's like you find what works for you. Something that might work for another person might not work for you. That's why I love that, you know, you're doing this, this kind of holistic approach that mm-hmm. it's part of the physical and the psychological that it all comes together. So you were speaking about genetics. You mentioned genetics. Mm-hmm. So if genetics do play a role for someone, is it a lost cause? Is, is that just how they have to live the rest of their lives? Yeah, good question. And like the actual, like, heritability rate of PMDD is like around 50% or even some people say like up to 80%. So it's pretty high, right? And when you initially hear that, it can feel like hopeless, especially if you've witnessed like your mother or your sisters or another relative suffer from PMDD and not get relief, it can start to feel like a lost cause. And so I want to talk about like what that actually means and the potential kind of silver lining of that as as research progresses and and we find out more is that they're they're actually looking at there's um like neurobiological factors at like a cellular level that impact um you know pmdd and so for first of all that gives validity to this is not made up right it's not just all in our heads and we should be more positive and optimistic right um and so i think that is silver lining number one and because the more we know the more we know about these genetic influences and the cellular influence and all the pieces yeah. that play into that the more we can pinpoint what will work for someone and there's there's actually new research um, the IAPMDD is um, presenting on that soon, I think this month around different um, subtypes of PMDD, and they're looking into different physiological differences, depending on how symptoms present and the different treatment options that that would mean. Yeah. And so I think um, research is coming, right? Like people are working hard on this. And um, yeah, so it's, it's kind of exciting. And, and for me in the nutrition and functional space, we can look at certain genetic markers. They're called SNPs. SNP um, stands for <laughs> single nucleotide polymorphisms. Um, but they, there can be certain markers that make us more prone to um, imbalances in serotonin, for example, or dopamine and GABA, more prone to inflammation, those sorts of things. Yeah. And the, the silver lining of that is there's things that we can do to influence. Think of it like a switch. If that's switched on or off. Mm-hmm. Um, with the power of food, um, and then being more specific and strategic with supplements. So it's kind of an exciting area to, to explore. And, and the world is called nutrigenomics. Um, and so wow. it's one of those things like back when I was in college, it was like, oh, this will be in your future. And like, look, now it's here. <laughs> now oh. it's here. And there's, uh, yeah, so it's, it's really interesting. And so genes are not your destiny. Um, I think of it as in information, right? Information mm. that then we can take action on. Oh my God. That's so awesome. I love it when you nerd out with, with us I know. on all these things. So I'm good. That's why that. you're here. <laughs> got all the details, all the knowledge. So you were talking about 
some, you know, like we need to go with our own, like what's going on in our own body. So could you, I know everybody always wants to know which lab tests should I get? So, so should we be getting lab tests to find answers? Yeah. And if, if anyone listening has ever watched any of my other workshops or heard me on podcasts, you might already know, I, I nerd out about labs. Um, and so, you know, what I like to look at is, um, you know, we, we really need that full look. It's not just we're ordering labs for the purpose of diagnosis. I'm not an MD. My job is not to, to diagnose. It's looking at how can we connect the dots and, and what is outside of optimal? Where, where are the imbalances and what does that tell us? And so a lot of people ask me just to kind of go back a step, like, why do I need labs? If, if you don't need labs to diagnose PMDD, there, it's still essential to, you know, look at, are there coexisting conditions or imbalances going on? And it helps us look at that whole system and pinpoint where we need to focus. Um, so I typically prioritize blood work first. Um, and, and sometimes what you get at your standard physical is like better than not having labs at all, but not quite enough. And so um, when possible, I like to get additional information more in depth on, for example, nutrients, vitamin D is a must, um, a more complete iron panel, um, markers around blood sugar imbalance, inflammation, thyroid markers. Um, and then especially with PMDD specifically, I like to rule out like um, high prolactin um, and um, what are called androgens. So like um, too much testosterone, too much DHEA, things like that. Yeah. And there's a, a workshop on my website. If anyone's like really curious about this lab picture, they can go in and listen to that. There's a link there or I dig into this, but from there, think of like blood work as priority. And then sometimes I'll bring in the genomic information or more advanced hormone testing, um, gut health testing, those sorts of things, but not everyone needs all the tests. <laughs> you know, it's, it depends on their picture yeah. and where we really need to take a look. Oh my gosh. That's so great. I hope, I mean, I'm, I wrote those down, most of them down, but if you didn't get them all rewind and write them down, because this is right here, it's kind of like a cheat sheet on what you need to ask your, your doctor for your, your functional nutritionist. This is it right here. Mm -hmm. So, um, after working with so many people who, um, are diagnosed or have diagnosed themselves with PMDD, what have you noticed is like the biggest hurdle, um, in them to finding more complete relief. Yeah, I think, you know, the first is like looking at the disorder and not the individual. And that's why I think just some of the research that's coming out about like, there's not just like one physiological path that leads to this, the work that they're doing to look at, okay, are there subtle differences or big differences? Yeah. Um, I think that, and then taking that root cause approach. And, and the other thing, and kind of the area I'm most passionate about is like, we need to take a, a, a complete mind body approach. And so I think really the hurdle is like when we see them as totally separate, yeah. you know, and I, I have a lot of times like people will, they'll have done SSRIs and birth control and certain types of therapy yeah. and they're not getting where they want to get. And there's not this connection between the two and all those things can be valid options. Um, but when they're not working, it's like, okay, where else do we look? And so um, kind of my wheelhouse is looking at this cross-section between the biology and psychology, even societal factors that can, can play a role. And so um, I'm sure, you know, sometimes people have read about, for example, the gut-brain connection. That's a really um, good example of, yeah. you know, we, there's this communication via the, the vagus nerve from our gut and it sends messages in both directions. So if the 
bacteria is off, for example, in the gut. And that throws off how we absorb nutrients, the neurotransmitters or uh, feel-good brain chemicals that are produced in the gut that can travel up our vagus nerve and send this like almost a distress signal to our mm-hmm. brain and influence mood. Yeah. And if anyone who's experienced butterflies in their stomach or you know if you're like me as a child I would um get sick before my violin recitals when I was nervous and things like that you it's it's an obvious connection right and so we need to look at um the the cross-section between the two and how we take that comprehensive approach Mm, mm, yes I absolutely that's one of the things that I have noticed coming up here a lot in the summit that this is all like interconnected. These are not separate things. Like this all belongs together and a lot with the nervous system. I think the nervous system, the vagus nerve is the star of this summit. Last time it was trauma. This time it was nervous system, which also of course, right. That all connects together, but we're, we're becoming so much aware of that. So there are so many, you know, PMDD words. We have all different kinds of symptoms, right? Mine, my symptoms were extreme anger. I was the angry girl, but also I I struggled with anxiety and depression so much and just a lot of rage. Like that was my catalyst to begin my PMDD healing Mm -hmm. journey when I lashed out at my partner and actually physically violated him. So how would this brain body approach apply to rage as a symptom, for example? Yeah. And me too. Like I very curious about rage is like, it's one of my symptoms that was the strongest and it's, and it's distressing, right? Especially, you know, I just um, talked with this beautiful soul and um, today actually, and she was explaining just the, the shame that can come with that of like, you know, I'm acting like this, I'm harming um, the, the people that I love. And so I think it's important to examine. And so we start to ask the question, like, are we responsible for our rage? Like, is this all my fault or can we blame it on biology? And I think there's this gray area where we, we do need to take responsibility for taking mm-hmm. action and learning the skills to regulate in the moment. And that is why the nervous system work is so important. Partnering with a therapist on that to navigate the even, you know, challenges in relationships. Yeah. And I think getting curious about the biology. So I think of it as like, um, calming the store storm so you can utilize the, those skills that you've built because mm-hmm. what I hear from the people I work with is like I've been building all these skills and these cognitive techniques and but then when the rage hits or the really severe low dark depression hits it's like all that goes out the window right it's like there's not access to those and so like I said if we can calm the storm then we're more able to cope and navigate those those moments and so biologically, um, you know, people with PMDD actually have like reduced biological resilience. So think of that as like, if anyone's done um, DBT therapy, um, if anyone's familiar with that, there's this term used called the window of tolerance. And so um, think about like a lot of times people have a window this big. And if, you know, we can handle day-to-day stressors in there, work schedules, buying groceries, kids, whatever people are doing, Um, and if we kind of get out of that window, we can get into that fight or flight or that shutdown mode during the luteal phase, there's research that this autonomic nervous system. So if you think about, again, the vagal nerve and how we regulate this fight or flight or the stress response, um, that's altered during the luteal phase, especially in people with PMDD and our stress hormones are, are 
higher. So our window is this big, right? And so it's going to take less to throw us out of that to a dysregulated state where the rage pops up, anxiety, depression. Um, we're more likely to perceive things as a threat. It, it's like that hypervigilance, like, and it doesn't mean like, you know, everyone's out to get me type of thing. But for me, for example, I have noise sensitivity. So while during certain phases of my cycle, I might be like, oh my gosh, my five-year-old, he's adorable. I really love talking about dinosaurs right now. During certain phases, if my symptoms are heightened, um, that noise may like kind of send me over the edge. Yeah. And so the other layer to that is that there can be shifts in, because of the hormonal fluctuations, shifts in our brain chemicals that or think of them as like the brakes on that nervous system, serotonin and GABA to calm things down a bit. And when those are thrown off, it's like this perfect storm where it's easier to kind of bubble up from that, like, okay, I'm keeping this in, I can manage it. And then, right. Yeah. Um, and so what, what can we do? Um, and I, you know, for you as a Kundalini teacher, I'm sure you have many strategies. And I think that's where that mind body perspective comes in. But I think number one is like releasing the shame of that, like understanding there's biological underpinnings of this and also embracing the things you can do and having that responsibility mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and knowing that your bandwidth is lower, right? And so it might be, you know, more sleep. I know for me, I really like to be alone during certain times. I need that time to just, um, I call it cocooning. Like I need to, um, you might need to have easier access to regulation strategies. Um, for example, with me, if it's more anxiety or rage, I might put an ice pack on the back of my neck or do some intense exercise, um, have a, uh, here in Minnesota, step outside for a blast of cold air, those sorts of things, <laughs> you know, can help reset. And then, you know, lastly, like addressing the, the biological piece of it. So, you calm that storm and it's, there's not so much to cope with then at that yes. point. So kind of a long, a long answer, but I think it's fascinating to look at all the different factors that can play in. It is so fascinating. And also, you know, what you're sharing is that, you know, in our luteal phase, that hour, we are less resilient. So it's more easy to get like triggered to let these things bother us. Just even knowing that like, oh, this is not because I'm an asshole or, you know, I'm a B-I-T-C-H. This is actually my body inside is just being a little bit more sensitive right now to all these things. So knowing that I feel is so empowering because then we can support ourselves, like you said, with maybe more sleep. Maybe you want to do like some yoga, some walking. Maybe you go on more walks with some soothing mm -hmm. stuff like that. I feel it's so empowering to know these things. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I even think like redirecting the energy. Mm -hmm. um, so sometimes if it doesn't have an outlet, right? Yeah. Like then that's when the kind of the explosion happens. And so I, I do what I like to call like angry cleaning, <laughs> like in my luteal phase, all of a sudden I'm annoyed, like who, you know, made, made the cupboard like this and I'm taking everything out, but it's, it's an outlet. Like I, I, I get more picky about things. Yeah. It's like, I, sh I can like have this magnifying glass on things in my life that um, even like components of my marriage or, you know, those sorts of things or relationship issues can pop yeah. up. But I think sometimes there's an element of truth, maybe let's say 5%, 10%. And so um, having that outlet and then even like journaling of like, okay, what am I experiencing? What are the beliefs that are popping up? The, the things that are contributing to the irritability and rage yeah. and then exploring during another phase of your cycle. Okay, where do I come back and where are the like nuggets of truth in that? 
Beautiful. So beautiful, y'all. I mean, Mandy is just full of all of the wisdom. And I was sharing earlier, you know, that you gave this craving workshop last year. And I was very, I had my ear, both ears open because I shared this many times in every interview. But I eat my guy's loaf of bread when I'm in my <laughs> when I'm in my luteal and he knows he's like, oh, my God, my bread is gone. Now I must tread carefully because this is the wild time right now. So and it's like my brain shuts off. Right. It's like I, there's nothing I can do. I feel like there's nothing I can do. And you said that cyclical fluctuations impact our nutrition needs and our brain chemicals. Could you speak a little more about that and how we can support ourselves in that time? Yeah. And I, you know, with, with this topic, I decided to really explore this because, um, I think there's a lot out there on like intuitive eating and mindful eating. And when you're in that phase of your cycle, you're like, I don't give a crap about that. Right. And it can almost even fill you with shame more of like, I know I should be eating mindfully, but I'm like elbow deep into a bag of chips. And so I think it's important to understand kind of the, the science around why that takes place to release that shame and then to work with your body. Um, and so what can happen is that during certain phases of the cycle, like the first half, we're more sensitive to insulin, the hormone that regulates blood sugar. We're more able to you know, efficiently process carbs during that second half with the shift of hormones and brain chemicals. We want more bread and carbohydrates. Um, but we're less able to process them. And so it can create some blood sugar fluctuations. Um, and so it's, you know, I, I think of it as our, our brains pushing us to like want to self-medicate. And so the, the goal is, is, is not restriction. I actually don't recommend that people really resist um, what they're craving. And I, I would say I, I have to like go out for French fries at least once a month. And typically it's during that, that phase of, you know, the, the salt and all of that. Um, and so it's not just like trying to willpower through it, but if you're nourishing and following your appetite all cycle long so you're not under eating and over restricting that can help and then your your meal balance and so you can actually stabilize blood sugar by um you know balancing your plate think of like balanced plate balanced brain um so really i think there's and i find a lot of times um people will say okay like once they get that meal balance into place and then you know doing other things that like soothe that brain chemistry then the cravings become i would say more at that like manageable level, like, oh, I would like to have some of that bread. I'm going to have some and enjoy them, but it doesn't feel like this compulsion where, um, where it can be kind of stressful to have that relationship with food. Absolutely. Thank you for saying that. And something just came up because you're talking about the plate balance. Mm -hmm. So does my plate balance, should that change during the cycle? Like when I get to that second phase, should I be putting in more sweet potatoes or, or how do, how does my plate balance change? Just a general kind of picture, maybe. Yeah. And, and everyone is unique, but most often we actually can be hungrier during that phase of the cycle and metabolic rate increases. Okay. And so, um, what I typically recommend is, you know, every, every meal or as many meals as possible, uh, can sound like a lofty goal, but working towards it, like half your plate vegetables, no matter where you're at in your cycle. Um, and that is really key for just combating the inflammatory component that can be involved mm. with PMDD. Yeah. Um, and then from there, during that luteal phase, adding more fats can really be helpful, um, more protein and, and not restricting the carbs, even though if we're processing them differently, what can happen is like if we're um, experiencing symptoms of low serotonin, 
really restricting the carbohydrates can make that worse. And so, like you said, like an example meal might be half a plate of leafy greens or cruciferous vegetables, yeah. some squash or sweet potato or quinoa or rice or whatever on a um, quarter of the plate, and then getting ample protein with that too. Um, and then fats. And so you know, if you're going to, let's say, have your chips, have some guacamole with it, and maybe some veggie sticks to dip in. Um, You know, I know for me, if I'm making like a big, I call it a super salad, kind of a balanced type of salad, I'll make sure that I'm adding, you know, extra goat cheese and extra seeds and being a little more liberal with the olive oil. Um, And that way you're, you're focusing on what you're adding in, not restricting, and you're going to feel more satiated and your brain and your hormones, they need that extra fat in the diet too. Oh my gosh. I mean, we got all, we're getting all the practical tips here from you, Mandy, and we're almost at time, but sure. you know, you have been sharing so much and we nerded out on all the kind of stuff. And there's, it's such, you're such a, like a treasure trove of, you know, what, what works, where can we look like, what's the root cause? Let's get into this. So if somebody is like, whoa, I love what Mandy is saying. Could you share a little bit about how, how someone can work with you? Sure. Yeah. So I um, work with people virtually and um, oftentimes one-on-one for that person who wants to um, really dig in, get, you know, the the lab assessments and use that like data-driven approach. And then it's all about the practical application of that. We don't just want data. We want data that we can do something with um, and then create sustainable change around that. Um, And then I'm also launching a group, which I'm super excited about that will um, bring, bring anyone, you know, involved through some of my, um, the core parts of my process that I take with one-on-one clients with PMDD physiology in mind. And so it's, it's, I feel like it's like my life's work coming into one program and spoiler alert, Charisma does yoga for us, (laughs) um, for the program. And um, so it will combine kind of, you know, nutrition, food as medicine approach with yoga and meditation and, and even strength workouts for those who are into that. And some of the nervous system stuff I've recently just with, um, the, the benefit I've found with my mental health and, and my symptoms become super obsessed with researching that area of thing. And, it, and it's interesting that it's, it's kind of this trend this year in the summit too. Um, but so my, my goal, my vision is to tie all that together um, in a, a community, right? Where we are, you know, having people support one another, that solidarity um, in their mission of, of healing. So, yeah. Sounds so juicy. And um, that Kundalini yoga part sounds really juicy too. (laughs) (laughs) Let me toot my own horn. Now, I love that you're bringing all, you know, your knowledge and wisdom together, plus a community aspect, because it's always so nice to see other people, what they're going through and see myself reflected in other people and know I'm being held right in this container and community and this um, regulation of nervous systems that's a part of becoming more regulated is being in community. So that's why I'm super stoked Mm -hmm. about that, Mandy. And I don't know, are you doing a workshop for us? Are you doing a workshop after the summit, Mandy? Well, sure. I am on Monday um, during your bonus week. I don't think we've uh, set a time by the time this is released, we will have a time, but um, so I will be, um, digging in even more some of the things we've talked about today about piecing together that puzzle about this process that I've found to be effective for, for so many people with PMDD. And um, yeah, so I'd love to have anyone join that's interested. 
Awesome, y'all. The link is going to be here and I'll send y'all an email. Oh, Mandy, a workshop. I cannot wait. It's going to be an awesome Monday. Mandy, we are at time. We went a little bit over because it's been so awesome. But do you have any um, last words of hope or encouragement for our PMDD community out there? Yeah, I'm going to take a risk and give advice that I may not have wanted to hear when I was in the thick of it, but take it in if it benefits you. But like try to just even take a little bit of space each month or or even each day to like embrace your cycle for where it is at now and oftentimes when we feel like you know pmdd is literally wrecking big portions of our lives it can feel like the enemy and so just take a few moments to like call a truce with your cycle and see those symptoms as information and even tune in and ask yourself like what does my body need right now what message is it sending was it asking for and listen i believe that like people with pmdd and pme are really highly intuitive people i just i see that across everyone i work with of like what what is yourself tell yourself right that that you're needing and then take that step, even the tiniest step, because each step builds that momentum. And I think more importantly, trust in yourself that you can do it and you can take action towards healing. Because again, there can be this like feeling of like, oh, I did this and it didn't work. I did this and it didn't work. And it starts to just like penetrate who we are. And so just take that action, recognize that you're doing that for yourself. Um, and that's, in my opinion, like the best place to start. Oh my goodness. That is an amazing place to start. Thank you so much for that, Mandy. So, so, so such a great start to any healing journey right now, right? Take that action. Your symptoms are information. Oh, I love that one. My symptoms are information. Great sticky note. Y'all share in the group, hashtag gold nuggets. What came up for you? Come to the workshop. I cannot wait to see y'all there. Mandy, thank you so much for taking time and for going so deep with us. You're welcome. Happy to be here. Mm, So good to have you. All right, y'all go out, go see what you can find out and bye. Bye. Hi, it's Charisma. If this expert interview inspired you or helped you in any way, please consider leaving a five-star review with your insights so other PMDD warriors like you can find these interviews and benefit from them too. You're awesome and thank you so much for being a part of this community. And remember, relief is possible. Okay, bye.